Understood is a resource I have recommended for many years to parents looking for support with learning and thinking differences such as ADHD, dyslexia, and more. And I'm subsequently excited to tell you about their podcast, Understood Explains. This season, the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. They cover topics such as how to tell if your child needs an IEP, common myths about special education, and the difference between IEPs and 504 plans. I love how Understood Explains breaks down the overwhelm by unpacking an important topic each season and then drilling down further into key basics in each episode. Most episodes are between 10 to 15 minutes, and episodes are available in both English and Spanish. So fantastic, right? To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of smart, compassionate guests, you will come away with insights and tactics to help you find the agency and space to simplify and declutter your home, time, mental space, and more. Hello, friends. First, I wanted to thank everyone who has filled out the listener survey at edityourlifeshow.com slash survey. You're, of course, welcome to fill it out, and I will be digging into the responses very soon, but I have taken a couple of quick peeks, and I'm just super inspired by you all and the ideas, the problems that you would like help solving, the guests you would like to hear. I have a lot of work cut out for me this year. But meanwhile, here is something fun and related. In the survey, one of the open-ended questions I ask is, are there guests you would like to hear Christine interview? If so, who? And though I still need to go through all of the responses, I noticed two very fun things in there when I took a couple quick peeks as the survey responses started to come in. First, a number of people asked to have Asha come back and update everybody on what she is up to. And she and I, by that point, had already recorded last week's new conversation. So it was really, really fun to think, yay, I can give these listeners what they want right away. I hope you loved hearing from her last week in our conversation on recentering yourself in the sandwich generation. The second thing is that many people asked me to bring back Jonathan Baxter, licensed mental health counselor. For those of you who don't know or are newer to the show, Jonathan has been a repeat guest in the past, and he is a genius therapist. He is also my incredible partner in life. And in the original Edit Your Life catalog, John was on the show six times. We were so grateful for his generosity in giving us his time for those episodes. And two of those episodes I did reproduce immediately to upgrade the sound quality in advance of my migration to Atlas Media last year. And then another episode was reproduced last year. Now, John's schedule is at present very, very full. So in order to give folks access to his wisdom without needing to lock him into a fresh recording, I am prioritizing another episode from the Locked Archive with John. This episode on improving relationship communication originally aired as episode number 58 in November 2016. It was inspired by a very vulnerable listener letter, 
And it was just incredible to re-listen to it. It also happens to be a three-way episode with Asha, me, and John. So you will get to hear Asha in your ears again this week. The conversation is fascinating and dives deep into everything from gender roles, power, accountability, humility, communication tactics, trauma, compassion, and more. I mean, there is a lot in here, and it definitely holds up, and I'm thrilled to bring this episode to you today. We'll be right back. Especially in this digital age, since we're well beyond handwritten journals and letters to convey history, the preservation of stories is so important, especially from the moms and mom figures in our lives. And if you've been looking for a way to collect those stories but aren't sure how to start, I have a recommendation for you. StoryWorth makes it easy. Every week, they email a loved one of your choosing a question prompt that you pick. For example, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? And what aspects of having children didn't turn out the way you expected? Your loved one responds to that email with a story of any length. You will receive copies of these emails as they are submitted. And after one year, StoryWorth compiles the stories and any photos provided into a keepsake book. A friend recently shared how moving it was that her mom gifted copies of her StoryWorth album to immediate family members, a genius idea for expanding the preservation and sharing of those stories to people in different households and generations. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years, StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com edit. That's storyworth.com edit to save $10 on your first purchase. Did you know that hyaluronic acid naturally occurs in our skin, but decreases gradually as we age, leading to thinner, drier skin? If you're looking for support hydrating your skin from the inside out, check out one of the tools in my hydration arsenal, Rituals Hyacera, which I take every morning. Rituals products are tested and validated by a third party for allergens, microbes, and heavy metals, and Hyacera is clinically proven to reduce fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. They also engage in industry-leading sustainability standards and are a female-founded B Corp, which means they hold themselves accountable to not just their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. Want to join me in hydrating from the inside out? Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash edit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash edit for 25% off. Today's episode was inspired by a very brave listener letter, and I'm going to read it right now um, so we all have the context. And I will note that we do have consent from the listener to share this on, on the air today. I'm a new subscriber and I'm loving your podcasts, especially the ones about self-care. I have a partner and he isn't always supportive of my self-care because he doesn't value it in his own life or he doesn't have to intentionally carve out time because he has no problem taking a nap or watching TV even when the house is chaotic. I always thought I was letting him and my family down when I took the time for me to work out or read, but you've made me see that I'm actually helping them develop by prioritizing myself, which is what I'm going to say when he says, quote, must be nice to insert self-care activity, end quote. Guilt was a big factor, but now I'm scheduling time for self-care so I can be happier and more available. Perhaps my husband will see the value of self-care for himself, but right now I'm focusing on myself. Oh, boy. Wow, that's a biggie, isn't it? 
Um, what a brave listener to, well, not even just write to us, but to formulate the thoughts about such a sort of coherent notion about uh, what's going on in this dynamic for her. And I really just can hear that pain in her letter. And I got to say, she's not alone. I, I've heard variations on this from so many other mothers. And I myself, you know, my husband and I really wrestled with this issue when our children were little. I mean, I'm glad to say that we, you know, have worked through it. But it is a really tough thing when there's just not enough time to go around or when communication around self-care, you know, it, it's, it can be complicated. So, I mean, there's just so much to talk about here. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on my own, but, you know, we've brought John in because he has some really, I think, helpful perspectives to share as well. So, John, let's start. Let's just start with gender roles. I mean, there are any number of places we could start, but let's start there. I was particularly interested to hear our listener say, as she was really trying to understand her husband's perspective, that it could be that he doesn't value self-care or it could be that he takes prioritizing his own self-care as a given, you know, say by choosing a nap over housework or, or whatever it is without stopping to even discuss it or think of it as an issue. Is this, do you feel like this tension over self-care is a common relationship dynamic? Do you feel like it, it sort of plays along traditional gender lines or is it something that just comes up for people? Uh, I think for sure, there's a, a gendered component of this, um, but I will say that in in my practice, um, the dilemmas don't always follow the gender lines as you might expect them. Um, I guess to me, the what I hear in that listener's uh, letter or submission there is that um, they're really wrestling with: is it okay for me to assert myself here in some way? And there's two levels that I guess I would curious about if I got a chance to ask questions here. And one is how much of that is this person's own uh, judgment or um, life experience about when is it okay to say, I need this right now. For some people, that's a very challenging thing to do. And then what is the system uh, influence? How are the, what are the rules in the system? How does that get met by the other people in the system? Is it encouraged? Is it supported? Do you feel like a team? Do you feel like you have to fight for your own uh, uh, what you need in the relationship. Um, I'm not sure I'm answering your question. Is it gendered? Yeah. I'm sure it is. Is it always gendered in the way that in the stereotypical way? I don't think so. No, I think you absolutely answered my question. I think um, I appreciate the fact that you pointed out that it can be a stereotype that it falls along traditional gender lines, because I think you're right. There's so much more going on you know, when it comes to the personal history of these two individuals that it may or may not have to do with their gender. So let me ask for one clarification. When you say system, do you mean inside the relationship or inside the family? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, the family system. Um, and it even might extend outside of the household. So if I don't know if there are kids involved in this this particular family system or not. You know, certainly I think for a lot of couples, you can kind of figure things out. Um, and again, that's not always the case. And then the kids come along and the workload is so much higher and the pressures are higher and the sense of um, vulnerability is higher and the sleep is less. And all of a sudden the, um, the conflict emerges. The system, I think, is the rules within the family. It's also the expectations that we bring in. What was the family? What were the rules in the family system that you grew up in? And then also the surrounding environment in the other families you interact with. 
who is it always the moms who are driving the kids places? And if mm -hmm. so, is there an assumption there that when the kids got to go somewhere, mom's got to step up for that? Yeah. Um, so the system is a big, you know, the sort of capital S system. Um, and it's always, always good, in my opinion, to step back and look at those influences and um, see if you can get one step removed from this is just my partner's uh, inherent flaws that are making my life more difficult. Right. That's so fascinating that these conflicts that we have in relationships, these inevitable conflicts that come up, you know, it's it's so easy to just think that it's just us. It's just these two people. But of course, there's there's this larger system at work that's that's affecting everything. Really interesting. If I could talk about that for just a second, I think that um, we have all of us who are in couples have this challenge when we hit a point where we say, Okay, something's unsatisfying here for me. And our, for some reason, the human being seems to want to look at the person we're with and see that person as the cause of our problems. And sometimes on the, on the surface, they really are. And sometimes it's as simple as if you will do this differently, life is much, much better for me. Um, if that's the only way we ever see things, we really disempower ourselves. We really put ourselves in a position of saying, I'm sitting around waiting for you to be different so that I can be happy. Um, a lot of the work in my experience in situations like this is saying, what can I shift within myself, within the things that I have under my control uh, without losing sight of the fact that, yes, I want the system to be different, too. But it's it's not letting your partner off the hook for what they should be responsible for. It's a way of reclaiming power in your life and saying, um, especially for somebody, if they've learned rules that say you're not allowed to speak up for yourself or you or you're being bad if you say i need this right now for somebody to say i can control this a little bit and say i need this um, and find where those spaces are sometimes people can reclaim a sense of power and uh, self-efficacy in the relationship wow my my heart my heart is beating just beating faster <laughs> you just hear me now it's very exciting okay john do you do you think that that's um i have like so many thoughts in my head, I don't, I don't even know if I can keep them straight. But um, I wanted to ask if you think that part of that response is like, um, you know, sort of a blame allocation that that's like a little easier to shift the onus of a situation to somebody else. And then when you said, um, you know, you're looking at the person in front of you, I know that sometimes we are not our best selves with our partners because that's like the safest space. I mean, do you think both of those things are in play or are you more thinking, you know, people just have trouble asserting themselves and that's, that's what's going on. I'm not even sure if my question is clear. I just have, there are many thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think that this is, this is this kind of work. You get all these different sort of theories that pop up in your head and lenses, different lenses through which you can look at um, a dilemma uh, I'm, I can't point to any of those three things you just said and say one is more right than another. I think the energy of the word blame very rarely leads us to anything useful. It's, it has a disempowering feeling to it. Mm. You are at fault. Um, accountability is a stronger word, in my opinion. Um, responsibility. Uh, sometimes those are for people who are good with words. You can kind of cloak those. You can say, I'm just demanding accountability when what you're really doing is blaming. So there's tricky spaces there. Um, I guess I would want to call attention to two different forces. One is that you alluded to, Christine. One is uh, what can I look at within myself and take charge of in some way? 
Now, for people who have really been backed into a corner, there's going to be a part of them who says, wait, wait, it's not, why should it be my job to change? Why should I have to be different? And the work is to somehow pivot off of that place where it feels like you're having to do another task. I'm already cleaning all the dishes. Why do I also have to do the work to be happy? So sit with that sentence for a minute and say, really, are you um, resenting work to be happy? Are you, are we going to put those top, those two tasks in the same bucket? If there's a way for you to do some bit of work that can lead to more happiness, do that for sure. So that's sort of part one. The second piece is there absolutely are system pieces that I think have to be held accountable. And we would be really naive to think that there aren't gender influences. If you've spent most of your life with the um, voice of decision making being a male voice, whether you're male or female, and I'm assuming we're talking about a male-female relationship, that doesn't have to be the case. But if there's a gendered quality to that, that system is going to play out in the, that force is going to play out in the family system too. So I'm on both sides of the fence with this. On one hand, you say, I'm going to take responsibility for what I can take responsibility for. On the other hand, let's look at the system and see if there's a power imbalance and is there some way to correct that. And one of the questions I would have in a situation like this is, does the partner want to be a teammate or not? Does the partner mm. want to want to be part of the, the balanced system? And is there some way to get to a place where the, these two people can work together on this issue as opposed to feeling like you're at op opposite ends of a rope pulling, trying to pull right, the right. other person into your space? Right. There right. just has to be buy-in right in the beginning. It's, you know? it's, it's tricky. Do we yeah. want to work together on this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really tricky. If you feel like uh, working together means sacrificing something, something essential to yourself, then your being isn't going to want to go there. If you yeah, sure. can get in a place where it feels like working together is actually uh, leading to a higher energy level of better interests for both of you, then you're more likely to be willing to move into that space. Wow. Yeah. You know, this actually... Um this piece of the conversation is directly related to something I wanted. the next question I actually wanted to ask, which is, I feel like, um, you know, when we're talking about meeting in the middle, and this is related to our learning to compromise well conversation, John, but I feel like there are two potential things going on here in this letter. It's not just self-care and whether or not to take it, but it is, it's household minutia, right? You know, there's the reality that in a relationship, people are going to prioritize things differently. And, um, you know, one, I don't know, so, so much of relationships, it gets a little transactional. And actually, we've, Asha and I are planning a, a separate conversation on that. But I'm sort of curious about what you think, John, about effective ways that couples can find meeting ground somewhere in the middle when their priorities differ. You know, that I, I just feel like that's definitely kind of buried into the in this letter somewhere. So I'm curious mm -hmm. about that. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it's hard to give a short answer to. We could talk about it for a long time. I in an effort to just be concise, I think I would say I'd want to bring attention to two things. One is people's personalities are different. And so what feels fair feels different to different people. So for somebody who's very task oriented, they may look at the house and say, I've done X, Y, and Z. Why aren't you doing A, B, and C to be fair? If that other person is more emotionally oriented and they're saying, well, you're getting things done that feel important to you. I haven't had any, um, we haven't been able to operate in this emotional space that feels important to me. Now that person feels like they're being treated unfairly. 
And now you've got two people who both feel like the other person's being unfair to them. So um, knowing your own style, knowing your own personality style, what is it that lets you feel like there we're getting stuff done or we are actually successfully in relationship is important. And knowing your partner's style is really important. So that's one, one piece. Um, the second piece, and these are both such big, and these are big buckets, but I'll, I'll take the chance and throw another big chunk out there. Um, if you can get, I've come to use the language, get above the line. It's like, there's like some, and some of my mind, some imaginary line where when you're above that level, things don't all feel so irritating and threatening. We all know what it feels like to be like grouchy and everything's aggravating and stuff that normally wouldn't bother you seems like a terrible offense. That's below the line. If you're below the line, your negotiation over who's washing the dishes is never going to go well. It's like we all need that siren on our head that says, I'm, I'm not in the space right now. And at that point, don't bother having the negotiation if you can't do it from there. Um, the AA uses the acronym HALT, Hungry, Angry, Lonely, Tired. Uh, there's probably a longer list than that, but there are lots of spaces we can be in that make us lousy negotiators. Um, if you can figure out how to have the important conversations when you're above the line, they'll be much more productive. That is just the best advice. And I, I it's why um, when I talk to friends who have newborns and nobody's getting enough sleep and nobody has enough, you know, there's just it's there is a there are periods of relationships where you everybody spends time below the line. That's just the way it is, you know. Yeah. And I think that when everybody can recognize that and say, OK, you know, sort of at the three month mark, we're going to put a date on the calendar and see how much we're sleeping and talk about the big stuff then. I mean, it, it just that single tactic can make a huge difference in relationships. I think it's a great idea, Asha. If you guys could ever figure out how to um, put together a chunk of information that would help people set expectations, uh, there's probably different phases of life, but certainly for when a new baby is born, mm -hmm. nobody tells you the really important milestones. Right? Well, yeah. um, when are you not going to have to change a diaper again? When are you going to get to be intimate with your partner again? When right. are you going to get to choose, okay, I get to go uh, hang out with my friend again without it feeling like I'm letting my whole family down. That's not in the books about the developmental milestones of babies. Right. Uh, expe expectation setting about that, I think, is a great idea. Yeah, no, absolutely true. And, you know, as we're talking about each of the things that you just mentioned, each of those things is almost, it also, it has like a, you know, like a lubricating effect on a relationship because it just adds more sort of space for feeling okay you know you feel less friction between everything else when you've had a little time to yourself when you've had a chance to sleep and like you said when that friction increases just because those pieces aren't there everything else becomes impossible to negotiate about oh i've experienced this oh my gosh and i'll just say that um you know because my children are older now i have two teenagers there really is ample time in our days to you know breathe a little bit, sleep a little bit, have a little time to ourselves. And that has made a huge difference to our relationship. And these sorts of questions that our listeners wrestling with, you know, that whole piece. So, yes, just great, great advice. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids, because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. 
I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wannabe Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. And I just wanted to pop in and say, first of all, John, I think that you and I, like whenever I'm going to come to you with a conversation or, or something, I'm going to say, are you, are you above or below, below the line? Because, and I, and I feel, I feel like if every couple out there started a hard, like a hard conversation with that first question, just to make sure both people were, were ready um, to actually engage in some kind of dialogue, I just feel like that would imp- improve things so massively. It's just such a, like a small communication tweak that I think would just have a huge payoff for people. That's a great idea. Just, that whole concept of how you enter into and leave from moments of relationship is a whole nother topic. Do you approach someone and say, hey, are you ready for for conversation now? In some way, I mean, it sounds all awkward, but it could be as simple as a, hey, can I talk to you for a second? Versus um, entering in with your agenda on full blast. Um, there is There are skillful ways to do that and less skillful ways, and different couples do it differently. I'm reminded of some some study I read recently about in the um, medical healthcare world about um, healthcare providers asking permission before they do a procedure, as simple as a flu shot or something. Hey, is it okay if I do this now? Versus this is just going to hurt a little. Um, it changes your mindset a lot when you say yes, I'm willing to enter into this right now. You sort of open up a little bit. It's a great right. tactic just in general in communication to say, hey, can I ask you a question? Right. And that um, centers the other person in a way and opens up a channel. Right. Right. But as you said in the beginning, you know, both, uh, you know, sort of these ground rules need to be established ahead of time. Because, I mean, I think I'm sure there are those people who for whom, you know, this sort of emotional conversation is hard or threatening or scary or whatever. And the answer is always going to be like, no, no, yeah. I don't want to go there. And yeah. so I think that, you know, that's even that might be a few steps down the road, but for those people who are ready for that, it is just great. And I will, I will say that my husband and I, who, you know, I am a talker. I love to use words. This is how I work out thoughts and feelings and, you know, it takes lots of words for me. My husband has a 
I would say, limited capacity for words. He is an incredibly communicative guy. But then at a certain point, it's like, uh, brain is brain is closing, cannot process more words. <laughs> and it's not it's not about not wanting to listen. It's about, you know, sort of like the brain is overloaded. And so we have developed a signal for that sort of like it's not that I don't want to listen. It's that I can't process anymore. And that's it took time to get to that because, you know, I had to spend a few years being offended first. <laughs> he just doesn't want to listen, but that's not what it was. And but it took a while to figure that out. So yeah, I think that's so, really yeah. insightful, Asha. That we all need what you said, Christine. We should we should um, sort of advertise our states more clearly. That um, being able there's a lot of listening in relationship on different levels, and there's a lot of listening to yourself. Do I actually know my own state? My favorite questions for people is. Do you know what your partner can do that makes you feel really, really good? And um, lots of people don't actually know for themselves. Uh, do you know what state you're in? People have different levels. All of us have different levels of ability to be aware of our own emotional state and what we really can or can't tolerate in relationship at a given moment. It's a lot of listening. It would do our partners a lot of favors if we would just make that really clear a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, you know, that's interesting. You should say that because my next question uh, actually speaks to what this what our you know, the woman who wrote the letter to us, what she's anticipating in this conversation. And so, you know, here she is in this pretty brave place. She's come, you know, a certain distance to realize that self-care is important for her. She has a right to advocate for herself and that this is, you know, this is her priority. But she's anticipating, uh, you know, a sort of like a guilt trip, I guess, for lack of a better term, you know, this must be nice response from her husband. Um, in other words, you know, sort of a me versus you adversarial setup. So this is what she's expecting is going to happen. And so I'm wondering um, if you have thoughts on that, if there's a way that you, I don't think you have enough information to fully respond to this, but how you might recommend she would bring this up or is there maybe a way for her to reframe the conversation herself, as you said, in her own mind, so it's less adversarial? Yeah, it's a good question. I won't try to speak to this particular person's situation, um, but in general, I think that um, in relation to what we said earlier, we have a tendency to try to work through dilemmas with the people who are around us. So we as human beings are oriented to be in relationship to other human beings and we tend to um, try to process our conflicts with them. One of my go-to all-time favorite techniques in relationship is to recognize that each of us as individuals holds both sides of the conflict within ourselves and to not um, make your partner hold one end of that conflict. So. I want to advocate for myself and go out on Thursday night with a friend. There's a little bit part of my brain that feels guilty about that or is questioning, am I letting my family down? If I just say, I want to go out, it puts my partner in the position of saying, um, hey, aren't you letting us down? If mm -hmm. instead I can come to the relationship and say, hey, I really want to go out. I'm also feeling a little guilty about it. Now I've um, taken a sideways step instead of a directly oppositional step. It's a, um, I'm holding a dilemma. Can you help me sort through it instead of, I have a thing I want and I have to push against you to get it. Mm. Well, I think that that speaks to, um, 
showing that you you are thinking of the other person, right? Because if you just say, I want to go out, that's all about that's all about the person who's saying that. Whereas if you say, you know, I feel that this is going to impact you guys in some way, I think I think that's a real powerful thing to say. It's not just about me. I'm thinking about you, too. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a. It's um, we are working as a system here in some way instead of we are pushing against each other all the time. Oh, well, this completely reminds me of a years ago, um, a parent hacks reader, one of my favorite longtime reader named Stu Mark, um, sent in a technique he uses to speak to his teenage kids. Interestingly, there are lots of parallels between communicating with your teenagers and communicating with your partner. Anyway, one of the strategies he said is exactly what you're talking about. He said that basically when there's a problem, um, you know, in the relationship and, you know, you sort of envision that problem as a line. And instead of you being on one side of the line and the other person being on the other side of the line, you basically both hop to one side on the same side and you both point at the line and say, oh, look, there's a problem. And we're both pointing at it. And how can we solve that? And it was so interesting that that sort of visual I had of literally almost like a tennis court hopping over the net and being on the other side with that person and pointing at the net saying, oh, that's a problem. Can we I, solve that? I love the visualization. I'm very visual too. There's a um, a, a theory, I guess, of uh, in mental health care called motivational interviewing. And they talk about instead of sitting across from someone, imagine sitting next to them looking through an album together. It's mm-hmm. a... Um, mm-hmm walking through this together instead of I'm trying to push or pull you somewhere. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. great. Love right. it. And, I, and Asha, I don't want to lose what you just said, that feeling of uh, learning from the way we work with adolescents. It's a great question to ask um, humblingly of yourself. Um, okay. How old am I feeling right now? Does this, <laughs> does this feel like um, don't tell me what to do, mom, or how come you won't give me the keys to the car? If, uh, or does it feel like, why are you being such a child? If it's something other than adult to adult feeling, there's something else going on. We, One of us or both of us have entered into a different part of self that um, when you feel like a kid, you don't tend to come up with the best solutions to problems. Right. And that that speaks to your whole family system. You know, the the, the you know, family of origin that we come from, you know, in some ways sets us up for these conversations. And, and we have we have all the power to change that dynamic, you know, might take time, might take a lot of time, but we, but we can change that. This is really fascinating because now I'm feeling oh like, I'm it, so fascinated. I know. well, in addition to the um, sort of self-check, am I feeling above the line? I feel like there's also, am I feeling like I can communicate like an adult, <laughs> you know, like versus feeling like a kid and having those emotional kid feelings. That's really, really interesting. It's really interesting, really humbling when you start paying attention to that, at least in my experience, to realize how often you feel like a um, teenager or a younger child who doesn't really have the power to influence the situation. Mm, wow. (laughs) (laughs) We're just sitting here speechless. Mm, Well, you know, humility is a big humility is a big piece of this. You know, I mean, it's just. It's such it's so crucial. And I think the fact that these processes take time, I I think this in many ways points to something you said right at the beginning, which was if somebody's already feeling um, resentful, it's very hard to then want to actually take on more responsibility for for communication. Sort of like, really, I have to be the adult now, too. (laughs) 
And so, you know, again, all these things really take time. I, I think it's it's very easy when we're having this conversation to um, it would be easy for a listener to listen to us and say, oh, all they're saying all I have to do is X, Y, Z. And it's never that simple. But we know that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's never that simple. Your Asha, your discussion of time frame, I think that's really important and great. That's um, we're talking just in this conversation. We're talking about all different places in relationship over the course of different years. And then the other thing we haven't said, we've alluded to power dynamics, is that there are situations in relationships where the power is so out of balance that it's not as straightforward as saying you can just take little baby steps yourself and things will get better over time. There are times where you have to ask for help. Mm -hmm. Um, There are times where safety is threatened or there are times where, especially if there's trauma in an individual's past, where you just can't get your nervous system above the line. And that what the other person is doing induces a threatened sort of feeling and you can't negotiate from that place. That's a good place to ask for help. Mm -hmm. I might start crying. Okay. Well, so (laughs) 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 this this happens often to me. Um, Well, so John, I know we need to be mindful of your time and there's, there's another important piece that I would like to hit on here. And I would love to talk about, compassion. Um, you know, all of us get frustrated in relationship and, you know, we've talked about, well, any number of things and how, you know, sometimes, especially when we're with our partner in the state and that's kind of the safest space, sometimes that's when the ugliest stuff comes out, I'm, I'm afraid. So I was wondering um, if you have found any particularly effective ways um, for people to cope with resentment and, you know, retain compassion for your partner when you're you know, you're kind of right in it with them. Yeah. Big question. Hard question. Um, I think that I don't have an easy answer. Unfortunately, I think the best I can do is to say, um, if you don't want to move into compassion, if there's a part of you, you'd say, of course, I'd like to feel that way, but I just can't get there. Uh, the question is why, what is it about your experience or the relationship dynamic that feels so threatening that um, you can't let go of your position enough to also have some compassion for the other person. It's important when you have compassion to remember, or when you're trying to feel more understanding of the other person's point of view, to remember that that doesn't mean giving up your own stance. Listening and um, being aware, having empathy or being empathic, is not the same as concession in a negotiation. Mm-hmm. It's And maybe that's one practical step is remembering and learning that you can say, okay, I hear what you're saying without saying I agree. Um, is there's something in there, if you're really so struggling with that, that says, I'm not, that's not safe enough for me to do that. I'm not, I can't emotionally feel compassion for this person because I'm so hurt. Um, so it's, it's, Um, tricky work to get out of that place to a place that feels safe enough where you can say, yeah, okay, I do see where you're coming from. I understand that you're hurt too and not feel like you're then jumping overboard. Empathy is not the same as concession. That just blew my mind. And it's so true. (laughs) I'd be, it's not that I didn't know it, but hearing you say it that way just blows my mind because, uh, and I will say again that that skill, that might take years to develop. It might not. It might just be a mind switch that flips. But for some, that those skills, you know, doing that in tandem with a partner takes years to develop. 
Absolutely. And people okay. will have Again, different not styles. to keep harping on that, but They're I not... just think that I just think that, you know, expectation wise, it's something that we can work toward. You know, some of us can work toward. Yes. And what you said earlier, Asha, about different styles of how much you talk or don't and everything, you're going to have different styles of empathy and communication, too. So um, this is not none of this is supposed to make it sound like this is easy or you just flip the switch and it happens. But knowing that that's what you're working towards is, I think, can be a lot more um, empowered feeling and less scary and hopeless feeling than just having every conflict feel like it's um, always ending up in the same place. Mm-hmm. Or it's just swirling around and there's no direction at all. Yeah, good. Yeah. So I want to I want to just loop back to one um, thing we talked about earlier in relation to this um, piece of the conversation, which is history. And this is um, very humbling. And John is very fully aware of this about me. But I would say this is making that um, empathy is not does not mean concession thing. That's making me really realize that in the past, um, you know, I I think because growing up, I would just watch all of my parents interactions and conversations be very adversarial and and it was definitely one person was winning right um that i just assumed that was how conversations were going to be and i did not want to you know lose my whatever it was and so i think i never in the past john i probably wasn't entering into our conversations in a very um i don't know just in a space where i could realize we were we were both having a conversation about something. I was thinking like, okay, somebody's going to lose here and I don't want to be the one to lose, even though that's, you know, that's not exactly what I was explicitly thinking, but I think a part of my brain was probably wired to think that that's what conversation was. So, you know, I don't know how many years it's taken me to sort of, sort of come around and learn from that. Um, but it, it is really humbling to think about how much, how deep it is. And I, I guess I want our listeners to know that, you know, there's a lot of, self-reflection that's probably going to have to happen and a lot of patience. Um, but man, it's, it's worth it. You know, when you get to the other side, I feel like I, and we have grown so much from that. Yeah. The idea of, um, again, it's humbling to think that our brains are actually growing during those time periods of life when you're watching the people around you do conflict and how they do that and how you, um, feel, um, enacted upon, how that conflict impacts you, whether it's conflict with siblings or friends or parents or whatever, um, that those are growing into patterns in your brain. And one of the really, really wonderful things about the current world of mental health, um, which I'm, you know, uh, um, cautiously optimistic about, I guess I'm skeptical of a lot of the things that happen in this profession. But one of the really great things recently is we've gotten over this idea that your brain stops growing over time. We know now that we can learn new patterns all the time. I actually think the human capacity to learn and grow is way, way more than what we expect day to day. The whole that we can't teach an old dog new tricks. Um, it's just not true. Uh, mm-hmm. If we open up to the possibility of change and if you can feel safe enough to let the environment around you flex, uh, change can be really fast. So I, I think that's very exciting. Um, knowing that you are come to any conversation with a particular set of predispositions is a great place to start. Oh, that is just so it's so encouraging. That's so exciting. And I must say, I feel like that reflects my reality as somebody who's been married for 23 years and has been on the planet for many more years than that. Mm-hmm. I definitely believe that that real, real fundamental like brain level change is absolutely possible. and. Um, that's just, I think that's a really great place to sort of let us close up. And so 
with that in mind, John, at the close of every show, Christina and I share what we call your next edit, which is a really practical or actionable tip that listeners can take away and implement in their in their lives. So I would like to ask you what your next edit is as it relates to what we've been talking about. Boy, great question. Um, Our conversation is so all over different stages and places of relationship that it's hard to say any one thing. But if I really had to simplify and generalize, I might say, make it your mission sometime in the next day or week or whatever when you approach your partner to um, with a complaint or a question to check your own state first turn your attention inward and say what state am i in am i really ready to negotiate am i really ready to listen to be assertive to flex to know where my lines are that i don't want to flex on um, as opposed to going in with guns drawn for battle or feeling totally disempowered like you know you're going to lose already or any of those other weakened states Friends, wasn't that wonderful? Thank you again to those who wrote sharing in that they wish to hear John on the mic again. I hope you enjoyed this. And also it occurs to me, if you're looking for more wisdom from John related to relationships, you can hear us in conversation at Hello Relationships, which was our one season podcast that we produced during the pandemic. You'll find the show notes for this episode, including links to resources and related episodes at edityourlifeshow.com. As ever, I would love to hear your thoughts and questions. Come say hello on Instagram or Facebook at Edit Your Life Show or send an email to edityourlifeshow at gmail.com. I would also be grateful if you would drop Edit Your Life a review on Apple Podcasts or tell a pod-loving friend about the show. Thanks for listening. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was... Steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not gonna wanna miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking